Hey guys, my name is Libby and thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen with us. This week's message is from Pastor Brett called Open Road. We are continuing our series, as Jesse had mentioned earlier, called Open, which is a which is been a kind of ongoing conversation where we've been talking about who we are as a church. We've been looking at, you know, Acts chapter 2, the beginnings of the church, and trying to, to discern who we are, what we're all about, what our core values are. On, on April 28th, coming up right after Easter, we have our Vision Sunday. Vision Sunday is always about what we do as a church, but it's important before we talk about what we're going to do that we start all the way back with who we are and why we do what we do. So that's what we've been doing. We've been jumping into this conversation. Uh, last week, we had an incredible guest, Pastor Brian Johnson from Maltu Church in Saskatoon. He was absolutely amazing. All those messages are going to be uploaded uh, this week for you on the podcast, so you can enjoy that. But let's jump into the Bible, Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a paper Bible with you, which uh, is most of you, then uh, you can open up your version Bible app, and you can hit the uh, more button in the bottom right-hand corner than events, and all of the verses for today are already loaded onto your device, ready to go for you. Now, if this is your first time here and you're like, ah, I feel a little uncomfortable, I don't know what to do, uh, that's fine. You can just, you, you just sit back and relax and uh, laugh when everyone else laughs. And if nobody laughs, you be the courageous one, okay? Uh, nothing better than being the new guy and laughing at the wrong time. So, but I, I always take a courtesy laugh at any time, to be honest. I will always take it. Uh, Matthew 5, uh, verse 38. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. It's okay for you to participate a little bit. It's okay to also for you to uh, look like you want to be here today. Okay, uh, Matthew 5, 38. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. You're like, why would Jesus say something like this? <laughs> like, why would I want somebody else to slap me a little bit harder? This seems like the worst advice that somebody could give me. In fact, if you're a Canadian uh, and you like hockey, you're like, that's not how we deal with things. If you hurt me, I will hurt you. If you go after my star player, I will cut you. Like, it's just, it's just what we do, uh, you know. <laughs> Matt is one of my very best friends. He's a guy drumming. He's sitting on the front row uh, uh, today. And um, we were playing, you know, a casual game of road hockey, as some Canadian people do, in a parking lot. A game that was meaningless, meant nothing, literally was just for something to do. And Matt was on a breakaway, and I was on the opposing team. Obviously, he's faster than I am. And... He was running to score a goal, and I decided, you know what, not on my watch. That's not happening here today. But I knew that I could not physically stop him, so I just did what any logical, rational Canadian would do, and I threw my stick in between his legs. <laughs> he did not score. He also ripped up his hands in a random parking lot. Uh, he was, and Matt does not get angry, except on that day. He was very... Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you're not going to score on me today. That's just how we do it up here in the great white north. Uh, right when we got married, uh, so I'm, I'm fortunate, we, we got married pretty young uh, by today's standards. We were 22 when we got married, and I, I lived at home because I went to college and we just got, uh, we bought our place, and I kind of lived between my place and my parents' place until we moved out, but... Uh, 
Desiree, we're, you know, you do that thing where you kind of divide up the labor in, in a house, and, and most of it goes to Des. So, um, and she's like, I like laundry, which I don't know if she was lying or not, but I know that she doesn't really like it now. So, you know, she, we're, we're like just like married, and I open up my sock drawer, and I'm like, oh, no. And I said these words which should never be repeated by anybody ever. So I'm just going to give you some free advice, fellas. And you're going to judge me harshly for this, and I'm telling you the story, so I bring it upon myself. I opened up my drawer, and I said, I, I kid you not, word for word quote, that's not how my mom used to do it. No joke. I said that out loud. Real life, I said that. And she's like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> and so I now really enjoy, apparently, my socks and balls. But now, <laughs> never talked about it again, except now, I don't know, like Marie Kondo, Netflix, trend. I'm just anticipating a wave. My drawers are starting to change, people. And I'm totally, I'm okay with that. It's totally fine. Well, everyone, I just get a little set in my ways. I just get a little stuck sometimes. Like I like things a certain way and I just, I just want things to be a certain way. In most areas of my life, I'm fairly non-traditional, uh, like except for like my socks and Christmas. Like Christmas has to go down the same way every year. Like it has to be the same way every year. Same decoration, same food, same schedule, same time, places are negotiable, but as long as the food and the festivities are the same, I have to do it. I, I even like this year, because we did our, our Christmas Eve service on the night before the night before Christmas, the 23rd, I contemplated going to church somewhere else. Just because I was like, I, I, you know, I have a guilted soul. And so I just, I'm stuck in my ways a little bit. You know, one of my biggest fears is when I'm up here speaking, especially like today I'm at all the locations and all the service times, is that by the 12 o'clock service that I'm going to get up here, tell this story, but get stuck in an infinity loop and just say the same story over and over and over again, move to another point and come back to the same story because I didn't remember that I told the story. I might even be doing it right now, but I don't even know because that is the trap that is the infinity loop. I just get stuck in it over and over and over again. Does anyone have uh, any home automations, Google Home, anything like that? I, I, love, I love the home automations. It's not like the commercial where it's like a human being. I like it when it's actually like my device. I'm like, hey, uh, Google, turn up the temperature in here, and it does that. And when Des isn't looking, I'm like, hey, Google, turn the temperature down in here. I just like that I can turn, put things on the TV with my voice. Like I, just, I just command my household. You know, I'm just like... I'm living in a land of automation. I, I don't even like set my own alarm anymore. I'm like, Google, just wake me up at like seven. And it's like, okay, I will wake you up at seven. I'm like, see, you are pleasant and delightful. <laughs> you know, my favorite command, Google play something romantic, you know? I'm like, yeah, let's spice it up. And then it's always something awkward. It's always. I love it when things are automated. <laughs> and automatic, and I love it when things are the same, but I think uh, one, of my, uh, one of my fears and my concerns is that I've organized, systematized, and automated my life to the point where I have capped or limited my ability to both give and receive love. Because I've made things so automatic, because I've become so used to my way of doing things that I am not open to the opportunities when they are presented in front of me. 
I am concerned that I have limited my ability to hear the voice of God in said situations because I've got a schedule. My life, like if you open my phone, like if, if, if it's not in my phone, I'm not going there. Like I'm not. But I'm concerned that I, I, I live and die by my automation and I have left no room for Jesus to speak into any area of my life. Because I'm set in my ways. I've got my routine. I've got my schedule. I know the way that I do things. I know the way that I like to do things. I, I, I know how it works, and I like to be able to control every scenario. You see, when Jesus drops that opening verse in Matthew 5, 38 and 39, he's not just talking about violence. He's trying to kickstart their heart. Yeah, 80s band reference is nice. That's for Clayton. All right. Kickstart my heart. Anyways. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. You're like, man, that seems like terrible advice. We've covered that, not in infinity loop. But what Jesus was trying to say, trying to suggest was that they've been living by this code of ethics by this point in history for thousands of years. But they did not fully understand what they were living. They're like, Jesus, why would you want me to change? This is how we've been doing it. This is how I've done it. This is how I like it. This is how I want it. This has been working. Why are you putting these increased demands on me? So he says that, but then he just keeps going in verse uh, 40. He says, if you are sued in court and your shirt is taken away from you, with small claims court, give your, cor- give your coat too. If they take your shirt, give them a coat. It's like, I like that coat. And then he continues, verse 41, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Jesus, that's, that's quite a bit to ask of me because I just, I've got places to be, people to see. You see, this doesn't make a lot of sense to us because usually, you know, only in movies are like the police say, I'm going to come and do your vehicle. That doesn't happen. In, Matt, can you do that, actually? consulting with the police in the front row. Not really. That only happens in movies. I'm sure there's a legal framework for it. But literally, in this day and age, the Roman government had soldiers positioned in every town and village and every place. And because they had to move large amounts of equipment or, or, or gear uh, from place to place to place, they could at any time ask any citizen to stop what they were doing pick up a bag, and walk with them for one mile. The law said that there was a limit. You only had to go one mile. They didn't want people to be abused. They just needed extra hands. So it didn't matter if you had an appointment. It didn't matter if you had a meeting. It didn't matter if you just really needed a Starbucks. It does not matter what you were doing in your life. You just had to drop what you were doing and walk with the equipment for one mile. You also could be used to send a message. It's like, hey, before text message, it's like, hey, hey, guy on the street, take this letter to this person. You wonder why things got lost. It's like, (laughs) but Jesus says, listen, there was all these rules and all these precedents that said you only had to go this far. You only had to do this much. If you were going to take revenge on somebody, you could only do this. And Jesus does something and he starts saying, no, no, I'm going to disrupt the natural order of things. Verse 42, give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Oh, what? You want me to just give to somebody without qualification? Like, I'm not going to give anybody anything ever at any time because that's my money. 
I don't care how broke you are. I worked for it. Jesus said, hold on. This isn't about what you think it's about. This is about doing something on the inside of you to disrupt your routine, to disrupt your automation, to disrupt you just floating through life. Like, you ever had that moment when you're driving home from work and then you get home and you have no idea how you got there? Like, you recall pulling out of the parking lot and you recall pulling into your driveway, but everything else it does not exist. And then you're like, how am I alive right now? Like, is somebody else dead on the side? Like, you watch the news the next two days just in case there's a body found on the side of the road that you killed? Because that's, I just like, why did I just black out? Jesus is saying, I'm trying to disrupt your automated life that you float through. I'm trying to get you to think about things in a slightly different way. Last week, Brian asked us this question. How's your heart? How's your heart? He used this verse, uh, Proverbs 4, verse 23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. I think if we were to take a deep dive inside of our hearts and trying to figure out what lived on the inside of here, how we process life, most of us would discover that our, our, our primary uh, interest in life is to protect our own interests. That's why when I read a verse like Matthew 6.21, quoting Jesus, and he says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. That's why you don't like it when I read that. You're like, I, I don't mind it. Because wherever you place your cash, wherever you invest your time, those are the things that you truly love. I think grandparents are the best example of this Bible verse. They heavily invest. Your, your inheritance is gone to finance those great things that your kids now have. And I'm totally, I'm totally okay with that. Because grandparents invest where their heart is. They put all their resource, all their time, all their treasure into these little gifts from God. But when we look at this a little bit more, we're like, man, Jesus, why do you have to talk about my wallet? Why do you have to talk about my cash flow? I, like, how come I can't just give you everything else? He says, because your heart is controlled by something else. It's controlled by something else. How's your heart? My heart's fine. I'm just not in charge of it. In Acts 2, the beginning of the church, it kind of breaks down what that looked like. And before we jump into reading it, there, there is a whole like uh, nostalgia around this verse. Even though we weren't there, we think, man, this was just so nice, so utopic. Like the world was perfect. It wasn't. That's a whole nother message. But this is a, a template and a guideline. Uh, Acts 2, we'll start in verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And I love this. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. This awe and wonder came over them because the presence of Jesus was there and stuff started happening. But I, I want to show you the real miracle in verse 44. 
All the believers met together in one place, just like you're doing right now. And they shared everything they had. This is the miracle, verse 45. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Now that's a miracle. That's a miracle. You're like, I don't like this. This sounds really socialist to me. I don't know if you noticed. This seems really socialist. I'm not so. Are we going to go live on a commune? Is that what Vision Sunday's about? Like, are we going to sell everything and go live on a piece of property? Uh, no. <laughs> and that's not what this is about at all. You see, a deep sense of awe and wonder settled upon them because Jesus was present. The presence of God was there. People were getting healed in their bodies, but they were getting healed in their hearts because their hearts were getting healed and their lives were getting realigned and getting put back together because they started following Jesus one step at a time. And they regained control of their heart because when they saw somebody in need, their heart broke the same way that Jesus' heart broke. You see, before every major miracle that Jesus performed, the scripture drops in this one piece of line. In in this line, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion. He saw the people sitting in a field, the 10,000, 15,000 people in the field, and he was moved with compassion. He sees the, the, the widow with her one and only son on a stretcher in a funeral walking in the middle of a street in a town called Nain, and he was moved with compassion, and he told the kid to get up And he came back to life in a moment. He was moved with compassion. You see, what started happening right here is that Jesus started to become large and in charge. Awe and wonder came over because he was doing something, transforming them from the inside out. And they couldn't help but do something with what they had. This doesn't look like you selling your house and getting a trailer and living onto a piece of property that the whole church lives on, because that's just creepy, and that would be the subject of a Netflix documentary. <laughs> in- <laughs> engage. <laughs> Where it all went wrong. <laughs> I, and I'd be in jail somewhere. That's just... So what does this look like? Well, if we just read what is actually on the page and detach our emotions from it and our political positioning, it says they sold their property possessions and shared the money with those in need. So let's just say Jeremy's daughter Sienna needs braces. They don't have the cash to take care of it at the moment because, I mean, who does? Take out a mortgage for those things. I happen to have some things in my house. I sell it on Kijiji. And I give him the money because I know that he needed it and there's a need. And I feel like it's the right thing to do because he's my friend and they need it. You're right, super socialist. It's actually kind of capitalist. I take the junk, I take the excess, I take the things that have way too much of my heart and I sell them and I use that excess cash to put it into the hands of those who need it most. But the honest, the honest truth is that idea is terrifying for us because a lot of us live without margin 
especially in this economic climate, but it's not only the economy's fault. So the idea of having anything left to give is like, I don't, I don't know that I could do that. I don't know that I have anything left to give. And that's the beautiful thing here is that it's like, you know what? What do you have in your hand? What do you have on the shelf? What do you have in your house? What do you have that you could just help somebody else because they're in desperate need of it? You might not have cash right now, but do you have time to volunteer on the Engage bus as we drive around taking people to the food bank? You might. We probably could have used a few more hands to clean it yesterday. You might have some time to invest in that. Maybe you don't have the cash in hand, but you have all the time in the world because you're retired and you, just, you could just help that young family with the childcare because their, their family lives on the other side of the country and they got transferred here and maybe you could have them in your home just a little bit. This wisest man on earth dropped this on us in Proverbs 11. It's counterintuitive. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. I'm just going to read that one more time. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. It says the generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. In other words, God's got you. So if you are embracing and living with an open heart on the open road, that when something pops up in front of you, you're willing to break your automation, break your schedule, break your routine, and invest some time, that when you do that, God is going to reimburse you. In fact, the idea is carried further in Proverbs 19. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and He will repay you. Like, I need to start volunteering immediately. It doesn't quite work that way. All I'm trying to get us to consider today, and you might, let me back up. You might be sitting here thinking, okay, another preacher standing up, somehow talking about money after tons of funny stories. And I am talking about money, and the stories were hilarious. You're right. (laughs) But we already took the offering. I'm not trying to extract you from your dollars. What I'm hoping might happen is that we would have a moment of self-awareness where we would collectively understand and realize that our heart is not as healthy as it could be because something else is running the show. And I just wonder what might happen in our lives. I wonder what might happen in our marriages. I mean, one of the number one reasons marriages break down is over money. I just wonder what might happen in our families. I I wonder what might happen around the kitchen table. I wonder what might happen in your neighborhood, in your community. If if, if money didn't rule you, if if stuff, stuff like this wasn't controlling you, wasn't the motivating factor, if it wasn't pushing you forward. Now, here's the incredible thing. There's nothing wrong with money. Money is awesome. It's the best if you have it. It's the worst when you don't. There's nothing wrong with having money. Put the money aside for a moment. You know what's the worst? is calling yourself a self-made individual and understand that you're not controlling yourself. What Jesus wanted to do with this thought and with this idea is simply open the door of your heart and understand that 
He's got something better for you. And that if our entire trajectory is based around what we could have and what we could grab and what we can get, we will never be satisfied. That if we would look past our automations and our schedules and our routine, the way that we've always done it, and we left some room for Jesus to speak and actually had some time for us to respond to his voice. I wonder if that gnawing at you that feels like you haven't done what you were created to do, I wonder if that, that sense inside of you that says, I've never accomplished my destiny, I wonder if that might be quenched had you left some time to respond to the leading and the prompting of Jesus in your life, to take care of those who are around you, those who you love most. Matthew 5, if you only love those who love you, (laughs) what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. CRA. If you're only kind to your friends... How are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. (laughs) So who do you love? And how do you love them? And here's the craziest thought of the day. If I would love Jesus first and foremost, if I would put him first, if I would realign my life and reorganize and restructure and put him first, and I loved him And he would love me. He would love me with a love that is so overwhelming, that's so contagious, that's so filling, that fills me up till it overflows. And I just can't help but let that love pour out of me because it just keeps coming. And every time I give it away and every time I hand it out and every time I let go of it and every time I invest into something else or something different, whether it's with my time, my money, my talent, just with my love, with my capacity to speak words of life, every time I give something out, guess what? More keeps coming back because that's just who he is. He loves us with a never-ending, undying love. Yesterday, we had our men's breakfast. It was awesome. We had like 45 guys out, which was fun. Gave away some Oilers tickets. So thanks for not coming, everyone who said you were going to. Anyways. (laughs) But Richard closed with this verse, and I'm going to close with the same verse in Hebrews 13, verse 5. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I'll have no fear. What can mere people do to me?